This is The Other 14 Podcast. And welcome to The Other 14 Podcast, the show that forgets the big six and celebrates the other 14. We have had an exciting start of the 22-23 Premier League season in game week one. As always, we are joined by Tom. Hello. And Tom, how are you doing? How did you enjoy the first game week of Premier League football being back? I'm doing well, Reese. Yep, really enjoyed this week. Um, it's nice to have the Prem back finally. It's been too long. Some expected results in there, some unexpected results, just the usual sort of batch of mixture, wonderful, wonderfulness that the Premier League can offer. And I was so happy that it's back. Absolutely. And even starting with game week one, it goes to show how important the other 14 are, as we've already seen some upsets from the other 14, which could have some title chase implications already. This week, we were saddened by the news, as I'm sure many of you would have been, that Radio 5 Live have decided that they're going to stop with the classified results. This was a key part to listening to football on the radio here in the UK, with them reading out all the results from the Premier League all the way down to conference football. And it's been really sad to see it go. However, we want to try and continue this tradition in the way we can. So over to you, Tom, with the classified results. Here are the classified results from match week one of the Premier League season 22-23. Crystal Palace nil, 2. Everton nil, 1. 4. Southampton 1. Newcastle United 2. Nottingham Forest nil. Leeds United 2, Wolverhampton Wanderers 1, AFC Bournemouth 2, Aston Villa 0, Fulham 2, 2, West Ham United 0, 2, 1, Brighton Hove Albion 2, Leicester City 2, Brentford 2. And thank you for those classified results. And in those results was one of the very early surprises to probably quite a few people, but not here on the other 14 podcast, as we saw Brighton go up to Manchester and get all three points at Old Trafford. We spoke about it last week, Potter's men, and they pulled out an incredible result and an absolute belter of a performance up against Manchester United under Eric Ten Hag. Tom, what do you have to say for it? Yeah, really fantastic performance from Brighton and Potter's men, as we said last week, expecting big things from Brighton this year, considering how well they played last year in a really improved sort of campaign from them. Saw a great team performance. You know, I was watching it on Sky uh, Sky Sports on the Super Sunday uh, for one of my first sort of 90-minute games of the season as a neutral. Really enjoyed what I was seeing, the link-up play, whole round team performance and just the, the work ethic that that Graham Potter was instilled into that Brighton side. It was clearly on show there on Sunday and thoroughly enjoyed the game. Yeah, they they were just phenomenal. They You wouldn't have thought they were the away team at times, the way they were playing, absolutely bossing it on possession as well at times, playing triangles around these Manchester United players who are meant to be some level of footballing gods and meant to be celebrated, but they were absolutely humbled by an absolutely stellar performance. Who were your key pickouts from the game? Really enjoyed the uh, performances of the likes of uh, Trossard and Lalana. I thought the link-up player was fantastic. Pascal Gross has to be a standout performer. You know, he scored the two goals. 
and Danny Welbeck for me. I thought his hold-up play at the, at the front and the way he led the line up against the relatively inexperienced new centre-back partnership of Maguire and uh, Martinez, I, I thought he played absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I think you're spot on there with um, Pascal Gross. He Two more goals for him against United. It's becoming so common for him to score against them. And I think out of current players in the league, Mo Salah is the only player who hasn't scored fewer than him against Man United. So, And he had two great additions to that. And yeah, Danny Welbeck almost looked like a Ballon d'Or contender the way he played, holding the ball up, linking everyone in. It was sensational. You kind of thought when he left Arsenal, had a bit of an injury spell there where he didn't get as much game time as he would have liked in what people would consider maybe his prime years. He then went to Watford for a very short period of time and you kind of thought, oh, where's his career going? But similar with Lalana, he's been bought in under Graham Potter and turned into a new man. Yeah, really enjoyed his performance. I thought it was fantastic. The way, like we've already discussed, his hold-up play was the one thing that probably has sort of diminished him in the last sort of recent seasons, obviously with injuries, his sort of goal-scoring record in total, but you don't necessarily need that from him, even though Brighton are a team that could do with some extra goals on their side, because if we sort of critique them a little bit, I think they do need some extra goals. But Danny Welbert's performance... If he's not providing the goals, that's the sort of performance you want to see out of him. Just doing everything else, being part of a team and just really linking that play up together really well. Exactly. And that front line that they had out there on the pitch, they really made Manchester United's pack four look. They almost like schoolboys at times. They they bullied them at times. They played round them. And it was an incredible performance. And I think what we spoke about last week is that Brighton can go and lose some key men as they have this window in Cucurella and Bissouma. Obviously, Cucurella literally days after we recorded uh, our last episode. But, and to be honest, absolute steal on that money. Outrageous how much they've got for him and good on them. But they've lost two key men who were possibly two of their best players last season. You wouldn't even notice. The way they've had players come in, the system is absolutely spot on. Bissouma went to Spurs and Moises Caicedo came in and he looked like he's used to Premier League football and vastly experienced, even though, let's be honest, he's not had that many games there. But once again, part of the way Potter does stuff, bring players in you haven't really heard much of and turn them into world beaters. Yep. Can't can't disagree with any of that. Yeah. I suppose one of the main talking points, other than Bryson getting three points, for, for me anyway... Is that they definitely should have had the opportunity for a third goal. I'm ridiculous. I'm not sure what the referee was doing, what Stockley Park was looking at, but how was that not given as a penalty? I, I just can't. Uh, it's unfathomable how that is not given as a penalty. Let's sort of look at it from a perspective of what was actually happening like, in the game situation at the time. Brighton were already 2 0 up. It was Martinez on Welbeck, relatively well inexperienced in the Premier League level with Martinez going away from goal. Welbeck was going away from goal. was not going anywhere near De Gea's goal and shoved him, in essence. He's sort of body-checked him or body-shoved him onto the ground. It and didn't look like that, he made a good attempt for the ball at all. That is, in seven days of the week, a penalty. I think up and down the country... 
everyone was absolutely screaming at their TVs. And to be honest, Brighton did so well to still get the three points even after that, because that was a huge setback in mentally feeling that you should have had a penalty, a chance to go 3-0 up. And they've been robbed by the referee. And I know there's a lot of conversation around higher thresholds this season, but whatever season you're looking at that in, last season, everyone would have shouted penalty. This season, it's game week one, and we're already going, VAR still going to make mistakes? And it just so happens that it's for a big team at home against one of the other 14. I'm not one of those Twitter conspiracy theorists, but it seems a little dodgy to me already. Yeah. Um, I was watching Monday morning, Dermot Gallagher on Ref Watch on Sky Sports News, his usual sort of feature. And he was very much under the same impression as everybody else around the country that it was definitely a penalty. From his perspective and looking at obviously him being an ex-referee, he was sort of looking because Paul Tenney was the, the man on the pitch at the time, sort of trying to look at it from his angle. And the only way he would possibly could have seen that it, he might not have given it as a penalty was just his angle or the direction he was looking at and the potential that it might have just been a bit of a shoulder-to-shoulder incident. But obviously with the video cameras and the video replays that we had at the time and what is still being replayed to this day, it just is a penalty. It's just is a penalty. So why VAR haven't, I know we're talking about this high threshold, but why VAR just not even sending Paul Tierney over to the monitor is just ridiculous. Exactly. And Man United did then go and pull one back. And I don't think Brighton ever looked nervy at that point, but I think that's maybe the attitude that Potter's bred into that team. But it doesn't take much to then pull one more goal back. And suddenly Brighton have gone from getting a great three points to then a really bad draw. Yeah, there, there were a couple of moments with Sanchez just looking a little bit unsure with the way he was handling the ball sort of from crosses and, and free kicks and corners and the whatnot. Um, but the way Brighton sort of saw out the last sort of 10, 10 minutes and including sort of the additional time, they never looked in any sort of pressure whatsoever. There was a United team that just looked all sort of deft of ideas and Brighton really handled themselves really well and got the deserved three points that they were after. So in retrospect, it doesn't really matter. But again, we're talking about VAR against the other 14, and that's an aspect that I'll go on to in a minute. Yeah, and I have to say, game week one, we've already had the other 14 beat one of the big six. That's a win for us. Absolutely well done, Brighton. Phenomenal performance and a great three points. Absolutely deserved. And after that awful referee decision to not award Brighton the penalty, Tom, I believe you've done some research into VAR decisions over in Stats Corner. And welcome to Stats Corner. I've done a little bit of homework this week, Reese. I've gone on to looking sort of at what VAR decisions have sort of gone against or for other 14 teams in comparison to top six sides. Obviously, VAR being in place now for the last sort of three seasons. And we're sort of looking about the myth about whether or not the other 14 get not so much of the rubber green as the uh, top six. So looking back on it on the other three seasons, going into last season first, we're talking about net score. So I'm looking at an ESPN article here about net score in terms of decisions that have gone against or for teams. 
And if you're a positive, that means more decisions have gone for your uh, have gone for your team in comparison to a negative uh, score, which means that more decisions have gone against. So looking onto last season, 21-22 season, Liverpool and West Ham are on top of there uh, with a plus four net score, whereas Leicester, Burnley and Norwich were at the bottom with a negative six. Looking at the previous season, we've got Burnley and Everton on top and Liverpool, West Brom and Arsenal at the bottom. So slight converse there. And then the inaugural season of VAR 19-20, Brighton benefited the most. They got the most decisions, or not necessarily the most decisions, but the, the best net score for VAR decisions. Uh, Norwich were bottom. So if we now look in at how decisions are affecting other 14 in comparison to top six, obviously we've had the comparisons of previous seasons and we do recognise that it's a minor data set but this is trying to look into uh, what's been going on over the last couple of seasons. In terms of other 14, at least one relegated side from the previous three seasons has finished bottom in terms of net score for VR decisions. So if you've had a lot of VR decisions going against you, even though as a team you should be performing better, it's not necessarily helping sides that are up and against it in terms of relegation. So there is that aspect of it. All top six sides also have had a positive net score from the previous season, apart from Manchester United. So there is that aspect as well. So it kind of adds to the, well, I'd say myth, but this is sort of proving that myth or an element of it that there is some form of, not conspiracy, but just, you know, um, BAR is in effect helping, or not helping, but in aid of the, the top six in comparison to the other 14. Yeah, it's really interesting stats there. The one thing, obviously, we've got a small data set, so it might not be useful to look at at this point. But going forward, it'd be really interesting to see how many decisions um, the big six are getting in their favour at home. Because as an away team, it always feels like everything is going against you in those sorts of games and even refereeing decisions. So I'd like to see that maybe sometime in the future. I would have loved to have seen it in Fergie's year. So thanks for that stats corner. Craven Cottage was bouncing with the lunchtime kickoff down there was Fulham hosted Liverpool and Mitrovic was king of the pitch. Yeah, he was um, He was very much king of the pitch and I have nothing to say. I suppose there were questions going into this season with his incredible goal-scoring run in the Championship last season, his record-breaking goal-scoring run in the Championship last season, that now he's back in the Premier League for probably... It's his third time back. He's been up here quite a lot. He's had plenty of time with Newcastle and with Fulham, and he's never really fired that well. But is this a new Mitrovic we're seeing? Two goals in his first game is a really good start to the campaign. And if he keeps that up, a team that would probably tip to go down by most, the goals might keep him up there. Yep, absolutely. The thing I would say about Mitrovic, obviously his goal-scoring record in previous Premier League campaigns hasn't been ideal. But it doesn't matter what level you're playing at. As a striker, if you're scoring goals, it's going to instill confidence. And if you can take that into a new campaign, doesn't matter if it's Premier League, Championship, whatever, you're going to feel like a million dollars out there. So Mitrovic has started the campaign really, really strong. Two goals in the opening game. If he can keep doing that, I'm not saying he's going to, I'm not expecting him to be like a 30, 30 goal plus sort of striker for Fulham. I just I think that's sort of unrealistic expectations of him. But if if he can sort of 
contribute a lot more in terms of goals for Fulham, as we always expect the, the lowest teams and the relegated sides always struggle with goals scored, then having an on-form Mitrovic throughout the entire campaign is going to be a real, real positive. And the way Fulham played at the weekend, hats off to them. Liverpool were under, under strength, underperforming, and they made most use of it. Yeah, and I think when you look at strikers that perform well in the Championship, you almost go, oh, they've, they've bullied their way through it. Because you think of Championship as more of a physical league, and Mitrovic has all that. But I think his goals showed a more intelligent level of play from him. With winning the penalty from Van Dyke, which Van Dyke never does. He never concedes penalties. Nope. And then from the cross for his header, the awareness to go on the back of Trent because Trent struggles with those corners to defend. And he was absolutely spot on with his tactical awareness there. He got a brace and everyone, I'm pretty sure, would have had uh, Fulham losing that first game on their acker. And he ruined many, many Akers this week, I'm certain of it. Let's hope that they can continue that, though. It seems that Marco Silva's return to the Premier League is started off well, and hopefully Fulham can keep that going, and hopefully Mitrovic can uh, can keep firing those goals, because they will probably need it. Yep. So here on the Other 14 podcast, we are a reflective bunch. So we would like to look back on last week's podcast to see what we got right, and to humble ourselves, what we got wrong. First up, we said Ivan Tony's goals would keep Brentford in the Premier League. He started the campaign with a flyer, with a really good goal against Leicester. And they managed to pull a draw out of nowhere. Yep. I think that can only goes to show what we can expect from Brentford this year. We mentioned whether or not second season syndrome would be a factor for them. The way they've started, well, where they started against Leicester, you were starting to think that. Yeah, the way they sort of came back against Leicester, really impressed. Tony banging the goals in from, from match week one. He's obviously put the doubts about his sort of attitude behind him for now and coming into this campaign and already scoring goals can only be a, a positive for them and long may it continue to keep Brentford up. And another thing we did get right last week, unfortunately for those near the South Coast that wear red and white, Southampton was almost the start that everyone expected from them. They got a goal early on through their talisman, James Ward-Prowse, but their defence was very shaky and we were proven right from game week one. They could be in trouble. Yeah, I think they're going to be in trouble. I mean, there's a lot to be said about how they how Tottenham performed in that game. Obviously, a lot of expectations for them. But Southampton would have liked to have got off to a better start there. Ralph would have needed just something, a little bit of a spark to, to get the season going. He got it from, obviously, James Ward's prowse goal um, early on in the first half. But they did sort of cave in a little bit. And I think Salisu's own goal basically summed up that performance for them. Oh, it was it was a dire own goal as well, wasn't it? It was so poor. He wasn't really thinking. He looked a little off balance. Uh, but... A Premier League classic own goal if we ever did see one. Exactly. And it's those sort of moments that for a team that's going to have some luck in the season, the defender would spoon it and it would fly over the crossbar quite accidentally. But when it went in, you just it really summed up how everyone's feeling about Southampton at this point. We're only one week in and they could perhaps turn it round, but 
almost, I think, this confirmed everyone's expectations for Southampton this season. It's going to be difficult and they're going to have struggles. Yep, absolutely. But then again, as you did say, it was game week one. So there is, there's only, the only direction for Southampton at the moment is up. There's still some time in the transfer window for them. With more signings coming in towards the end of the window, if they can make an instant impact, it's only going to be ideal for Southampton because at the moment they need it. And it was more doom and gloom up in Merseyside as the blue half did not get off to an ideal start. I think most people would have called this result with Everton playing Chelsea, but it was only 1-0 against a fairly uninspiring Chelsea team, but Everton looked largely uninspired themselves and they're going to have to turn around performances pretty soon. Otherwise, Lampard's name won't be chanted from the fans in a positive way and they might actually be calling for his head. Yeah, I think we pretty much expected this result going into it. Chelsea looking to get off to a good start. Everton looking to get off to a good start, but a lot of nightmares probably still lingering over last campaign. Losing Ben Godfrey in the way that they did with a fracture is absolute killer for them. He's been solid for them ever since he's come in. But as the point of recording, they have made a couple of new signings in, in that regard, but we will get onto that transfer front later on. But the results-wise, it's not a great start for them. But again, it's only game week one. They can go on from there and they can put in better performances than they did. But like we said, Everton needs to get off to a good start. Losing game week one does not help Ampard's case. Not at all. And since we are humble here, we've got to talk about the things we didn't get quite right. We were pretty much set on Bournemouth losing their first game. And boy, did they prove us wrong. A fantastic performance down at the Vitality. And Villa looked hopeless. Yeah, they did look pretty hopeless. Bournemouth came across very well in, in the way that they played. Getting the three points on that South Coast is going to be ideal for them. Villa and the retrospects, oh, just don't know what's going on with them. Well, I think one of the biggest things is their new centre-back that they signed, Diego Carlos, a lot of money. Looks like money wasted. I know it's his first game in Premier League football, but he did not have a great game. He didn't look good. Yeah, and the way, you know, this is Steven Gerrard's first full season in Premier League football as a manager. And looking, you know, I love my stats. Stats corner back at it. We've got one here. In 28 games in Steven Gerrard's managerial career at Aston Villa, you guess what record he has same as? I have seen this retweeted onto my timeline many times and it is incredibly satisfying to see, but I'll let you share. Gary Neville at Valencia. 28 games, 10-1, 5 draws, 13 defeats. That's a win percentage of 35%. Now, as Valencia boss, obviously not great. Villa, expectations of sort of how they've sort of trying to progress after Dean Smith. Again, not too much difference. But that needs to be so much better. It it does. And particularly as I think last season, Gerald was bought in after Dean Smith kept them up. But there's such high expectations around Villa Park that to lose to Bournemouth, as we said last week, first game of the season against a newly promoted side, you want to be winning that. And looking forward, it really seems Gerard's really weird move of somehow blaming Tyrone Mings for everything, even though he wasn't on the pitch and throwing him under the bus is really bizarre to me. And already you can see people starting to gang up against Gerard. And I know these people are hugely unnecessarily reactive, but it needs to turn around quick. Otherwise, he'll be joining Lampard on the naughty list. Yeah, exactly. Um, can't, can't disagree with anything there. 
And for us, I think, well, me in particular, I was really backing Forest going to this season and they need to sort it out fairly quickly because their first game week performance didn't really inspire much. I know that they've brought in a lot of players, but perhaps too many because they didn't really look like they knew what they were doing throughout most of the game. And Newcastle, great performance from them. Yeah, I think a lot needs to be said. It's actually something I meant to mention last week in, in the previous show about adding too many faces can sort of disrupt that team chemistry, especially with what Forrest had last year through the championship and what Steve Cooper's managed to do with him. But I still expect him to do some bits this year, Steve Cooper being the manager and coach that he is. But they would have liked to have got off to a better start than they did. Newcastle were looking pretty much how I expected Newcastle to do. Forrest just a little bit underwhelming. Yeah, these are the sorts of games that this new Newcastle would exactly want to win in the manner that which they did. And I think you're right about Forrest. Maybe too many new players, but Cooper's fantastic coach, so let's see what he can do with them. Yeah, I think also maybe an away game at St James's Park isn't really where you can get a full assessment of not an, how not a team start. does. Not an ideal start. Next week, their first uh, first home game is against West Ham. So hopefully for them, they'll be able to pull out a really good performance against their home crowd who have been waiting for this Premier League return for quite a long time. Yep, generations. And next up, goal of the week. Goal of the week. So Tom, goal of the week. We've had some good goals already from the other 14 in this first game week. Who do you think are worthy shout-outs? I don't think you can go really too too wrong with uh, Fabian Scher's efforts in the game that we've literally just mentioned. Thunder bastard is a word that comes to mind there. Absolutely. He does get the odd goal from distance like this and he puts everything through it and it seemed to be going nowhere but the back of the net from the moment it left his boot. So incredible goal from him. I think some honourable mentions are Dewsbury Hall's goal for Leicester against Brentford. Such a clean strike. The sort of strike where it wobbles a bit but so clean, so crisp. He yep. hit nothing but ball and the keeper had no chance. It's one of those where you're you're waiting for the reverse angle and just expecting just to get a little bit of a semi, maybe. I'm sure lots of Leicester fans at that point were getting much more than a semi. I think uh, we've got to have a shout out for the other 14 alumni, Ishmael Saar for Watford last night. Wow. Took it on in his own half turned had a quick look up saw that the keeper was off his line and absolute peach of a strike all the way over the keeper not a real lofted one very no. powerful very driven and absolutely incredible goal yeah technically perfect with what you really want to do from the halfway line or just inside the halfway line not too much loft but just enough to get it over the keeper but enough power behind it so that the keeper is basically trying to run back to the back to his line and try and do everything that he can to claw it away and fabulous hit and this is a player that's been heavily linked to many premier league teams even in this transfer window since relegation from the premier league last season so he's maybe added a couple more million onto the asking price yeah i think the only disappointment from him last night was the fact that he scores that but then misses a penalty Hopefully any Premier League team looking at him already has a designated penalty taker and he won't need to worry about stepping up from 12 yards. He can do it from 52, but not from 12. Well done, Ishmael, for an honourable mention. Well done. But this week, as we said, Fabian Scher, absolutely glorious goal. Congratulations on this goal of the week. Well done, young man. And now I know we've sung their praises a lot, but 
we're going to look at performance of the week from any other 14 team. And we cannot look past Brighton, can we? And we've said a lot about Graham Potter's men and we'll keep going on about it. But fantastic performance, complete underdogs in the game. And they made it almost look easy at times. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to describe two viewpoints as unanimous, but it's a unanimous viewpoint for the other 14 podcasts that Brighton's performance was you know, absolutely the performance of the week there. Going to Old Trafford, getting three points, getting the campaign off to a start as they did, nothing better. So well done, Brighton. So with the transfer window still open for a couple more weeks, Tom, you've got a bit of a transfer news update since we recorded last. Yep. So obviously we've had the Cucurella news that he's gone to Chelsea, the fee that we've uh, mentioned previously in, in uh, this podcast. We've also had some new uh, signings as of today. Connor Cody has departed Wolves uh, for Everton on a season-long loan. What I find really interesting about that is, obviously he's from Merseyside, but it was my understanding that he was very much a fan of uh, the team from the red half of Merseyside and not Everton. So that's a real interesting transfer, but for a team that is in need for a centre-back. Yeah, but I, I think if you look at that viewpoint, at the end of the day, these are professional footballs that we're talking about. Sometimes those sort of childhoods and academy, because he, he, Conor Cody was at Liverpool's academy and that's where he started, but then has obviously moved throughout teams uh, during his career. He is a professional at the end of the day, so I expect him to perform as well as he has done for Wolves and England for Everton for the remainder of the campaign. Yeah, I think it's a good addition to that Everton squad. They do need a good defender that's a leader, and he has done that in the Wolves defence for a good couple of seasons now in the Premier League. I know Wolves do have a good couple of young defenders, such as Max Kilman, and it'll be interesting to see how they kick on without him. Yeah, exactly. And remaining in the blue half of Merseyside, um, they've just completed the signing of Omdou Onana from Lille on a five-year deal. Really 20 years old, and looks very experienced already. Got a calm head on his shoulders there. And we'll just add to that spine that Everton are so desperate needed, especially in that midfield, especially losing Richarlison up towards the front end of that midfield. And then obviously Donny van der Beek has left back to United and Deli Alley just not being good, really. So a much needed addition to that centre midfield. And just with the signing of Connor Cody for a season long loan, that's just added to their spine. I think they're the sort of signings that we saw that Everton did need, they needed to add some more experience to their squad, which they got in Connor Cody. And then with the, the introduction of Onana, so a Belgium national that's been playing in France, a good addition to that Everton squad. Let's just see if he can become a proven Premier League player, because I think Everton have splashed a fair bit of money on him, particularly with wages as well. And hopefully this will be one of the more positive of Everton's transfers in recent years. Some minor notes also just for other signings that have been made this um, since the previous recording. Um, another name that is recognised for other 14 teams is Joel Robles, has returned to the Premier League. Uh, he's now signed uh, for Leeds as a bit of backup uh, for their Keepers Union. Yeah, since his release from Betis um, back in June, I think his contract was up. Um, obviously... I was surprised how many games he actually played for Everton. In my mind, he was always second fiddle to someone, but he played nearly 70 games for Everton, which I was very much surprised to see. 
a good addition to the um, Leeds goalkeeping union should really present a bit of a challenge to the first team slot for uh, Medlier. And once again, really good signing on a free transfer, pretty much. So nice work, Leeds. Yeah, I think solid signing. We've seen Melier in the past. You know, good solid keeper, but has got a mistake in him. So it's whether or not Jesse March sort of just chops and changes throughout the season just to see what what suits best, really. But yeah, really, really impressed with that signing. And I think that's just uh, good, good business. And with game week one done, and with game week two to look forward to, Tom, what upcoming fixtures can we expect to be the highlight of our weekend? Upcoming in match week two, we've got Villa Everton. We have Arsenal Leicester. We've got Brighton versus Newcastle. City are at home to Bournemouth. Southampton uh, go up against Leeds. Wolves open their campaign at Molyneux against Fulham. Brentford host Manchester United. Forest for their first game at the City Ground in the Premier League fixture for a long, long time, go up against West Ham. And it's Liverpool versus Palace. Some really good and exciting games there. I think there's definitely a prospect for some of the other 14 to be able to snatch some points from these big six teams. So really looking forward to it. So that's mostly looking at you, Brentford, hosting Man U at the Community Stadium. They're not looking good. You were looking strong. Let's see if Ivan Tony can continue that goal-scoring run. And the other interesting game for me is my pick is the Mikel Antonio derby with Forest v West Ham. As you said, first time in a while that there's been a Premier League fixture played at the city ground and Forest have a lot to prove. Yep. Uh, another potential for of other 14 upset. Potentially Liverpool didn't exactly get off to the strongest start against Fulham at the weekend. So Palace going away, Palace looking for a strong start after their sort of lack of one against Arsenal. But they did look better in the second half of that Friday night game. Potential there for another slip. So we see. And we do really hope that is the case. And thank you for joining us on episode two of the Other 14 podcast. Please contact us with any questions you have for us on Twitter at Other14Podcast and email us with any questions on the other 14 pod at gmail.com. So please do subscribe to us as well. So we'll be on your feed as soon as an episode is released. And please do rate and leave a review on your podcast platform of choice. We are now on Apple. We are on Spotify and many, many others. Tom, episode two, thank you for joining me. And we'll be talking to you next week on episode three. Thank you for having me, Reese. Looking forward to the next round of fixtures and stay well for everyone who is uh, listening wherever you are listening from.